pray for us. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that um, what we were able to witness last week is um, because of Jesus, your great love for us, your incredible sacrifice, um, and this work of your spirit in people's lives, that um, we are never outside of your reach, that your grace is sufficient for us, and um, the way in which people responded, I just, I know you're proud, Jesus. You're so proud of them. You're proud of our church, and um, may we continue to keep our eyes fixed on you and where you're leading, and I pray that your spirit would continue to work, not only in our churches, but the church, across our state, across this country, across the world. Um, revive in us, Spirit of God, the truth of your word, the truth of who you are, and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We uh, were supposed to start this series last week, but because we pivoted and did the uh, baptism service, we're starting it this morning, a series that we're going to be in for a number uh, of weeks that um, is on a really important really theme that we as Christians should have a part of our lives, and that is forgiveness. You know, when you think about the rhythms of a spiritual life or the rhythms of following Jesus or the spiritual practices that we, we talk about, um, you know, we talk about things like spending time with God, you know, reading God's word, meditating on God's word, praying, um, fasting, going to church, baptism, communion. Like there's, there's a list of things that we could make when we're talking about the spiritual practices of following Jesus. And, and one of them that I think absolutely needs to be on the list, but we probably don't put it on the list, is the act of forgiveness. That is that we are regularly posturing ourselves to, to forgive others and to receive forgiveness. But this tough, that can be really hard. It can be really, really hard to forgive somebody because they've really hurt you. They've um, really burned you or your family or your kids. I mean, um, but they've, they've done something to inflict real pain in your life. And it is not a natural response to forgive. Or um, it can be really, really difficult for us to forgive ourselves, to receive forgiveness from others, receive forgiveness from God. Like we look at ourselves as almost not being worthy of forgiveness or I've got to pay some form of a penalty. Like I should sit in this and, and, and suffer because of what it is I've done. So the tagline of the series is forgive. Why should I? I mean, why should we? Really? Like, why should we let people off the hook? Why should we forgive those who have hurt us when instinctively everything's sort of saying the opposite, like stick it to them? Why as Christians should we forgive people who have hurt us, let us down? Um... And then how do I, like, maybe you go intellectually, I know I should forgive this person, but like, I can't get there. I can't get there emotionally. Um, I know in my head I, I'm supposed to forgive, but I can't, 
like in my heart get there. Or I can't, I know I should forgive myself or I should accept forgiveness or I should accept God's forgiveness. I know this in my head, but I can't get there like in my heart to, to do it or allow it to happen in my life. I think in my conversation with people and just in my own life, I think there's a lot of tension around forgiveness. And that tension often is, is because there's a feeling in us that, that um, something wrong has been done to us and therefore a price should be paid. Like we, there's a deep desire in us for justice. We want justice. But how do you, how do you hold justice and grace together? Um, the poet Maya Angelou was having a conversation with a friend named Bell Hooks. And Bell Hooks said this, and I found this quote like really moving because I think it gets at the heart of that tension. She said, for me, forgiveness and compassion are always linked. How do we hold people accountable for wrongdoing and yet at the same time remain in touch with their humanity enough to believe in their capacity to be transformed? How do we, you know, hold people accountable? Because if we just let people off the hook, it, it's not good for them. So how do we seek justice? How do we hold people accountable to wrongdoings? But in one hand, but on the other hand, sort of remain like human enough to have hearts that are soft enough to recognize that in their humanity and with the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, a person has the capacity to change, to be transformed. How do we as Christians live in that, that tension? I think three struggles, and maybe you can relate to one or all of these that, that, that we often have with forgiveness. First is this, and I've talked about this, that apparent contradiction between forgiveness and justice. The sense that we sort of have to choose one over the other. It's either justice or it's, it's forgiveness. But the question that I would pose is, is that true? Do you have to choose one over the other or can you have both? The second is forgiveness, it is a form when you forgive someone of voluntary suffering. In forgiving somebody who's hurt you or who doesn't deserve it or who like everything inside you wants to hold the grudge against them or even retaliate, make them feel the pain that they inflicted on you. In forgiving rather than retaliating, you make a choice to bear the cost. And the question that I think we ask ourselves, is that worth it? Is it worth bearing that cost? Is it worth forgiving that person even though they don't deserve it? I think that's what's hard. It's like, it's one thing, you know, like if, if, if I hurt my wife, which I've done a lot, and I recognize it, and I go to her, and I repent of my sin, she's feeling hurt, she's feeling the pain of what I've done. But I would guess that it's somewhat easier for her in my repentance if it's honest repentance to say, I for, like, I forgive you. But what happens like if I'm hurting her, actively hurting her, and I'm just on, like, I don't, I don't see it or I ignore it or I'm choosing to do it over and over and over and over again, inflicting pain over and over and over and over again. Like, 
What is, how does she live in that? And some of you are in that. So, I mean, maybe not in your marriage, maybe in your marriage, but in relationships with other people. Like, it is really hard. Like, when you know, like, you go, I'm supposed to forgive that person who's, like, unrepentant, doesn't give a rip about me, continues to do it over and over and over and inflict pain over and over and over again. Like, how do I respond to that? No way. I mean, if they're willing to repent or turn or do something to show some remorse, yeah, maybe, but am I willing to bear the cost? And we're going to talk about that. Because forgiveness doesn't mean you don't set boundaries. Forgiveness isn't, doesn't mean that like, you can forgive someone and, and, and like exit relationship with that person. It doesn't mean you let them off the hook and things go back to the way that they, they maybe once were or you're going to engage in further relationship with that person. Like If they're continuing to be, like beat you down, you can forgive them and, and move on. We're going to talk about that. But ultimately, are you willing to sort of bear that cost, the pain of, of that almost voluntary suffering? And is it worth it? Is it worth it? And, you know, teaser, it is. The third one is, how do I receive forgiveness? For some, it might, you might be a person who easily forgives others, but receiving it, I, I, I would say I fall more into that category. Like, um, I don't know, like, I, I guess I'm wired where... Um, I'm not, I guess, afraid to sort of admit, like, to somebody, I really royally messed up here, forgive me. But, when, but like, when, when someone comes to me, and I had this happen, like, one of my best friends, he confronted me once, and he was just like, dude, like, you, you like, you really let me down, like, you, and I forgive you. And I just go, this is the, I, I need to get out of here, like, right now. It was the most, I felt so uncomfortable and awkward and like, I don't like this, what I'm feeling. And um, there's, a, there's almost a callousness. I don't know if you can relate to some of that. Like, I, I just, I don't, I can't, it's difficult to allow forgiveness in. Like, I have a propensity to want to suffer for what I've done pay the penalty, like, you know? And so receiving it can be tough. And so this is the tension that all of us are in because guess what? You've all been hurt. <laughs> you've all been let down. You've all been betrayed. And you've all, you've all been on the other side of that too. You've been the one who hurt. You've been the one who's betrayed. You've been the one who's slandered. And so how do we as Christians like, Deal with this. Because I think the other thing I see is a lot of people just don't deal with it. They like ignore it. You know? Like they either just shut the people out of their lives or they pretend like it never happened or they let people just continue to run over them again and again and again. Or people don't, they just work hard to, to instead of receiving grace and forgiveness, they just kind of work hard to try to make themselves feel better or earn it. And so I wanna just pray right now um, because I, I would venture to guess that in this room, unforgiveness is at work. 
And um, unforgiveness is a burden that we carry. When we choose to hold back forgiveness to others or ourselves, we actually, we carry that burden. And I would guess some of you are really burdened by unforgiveness. And the thought of forgiving or receiving forgiveness is like, as I'm talking, I would guess some of you are just feeling this immense pushback. I mean, you might, you might not use the word, but like you think about somebody that you, like, I should forgive, and you go, I hate that person. I hate them. I hate what they've done. And I just, I can't, I can't reconcile ever thinking I could forgive them. And I, I just want to ask the Spirit to meet us in those raw, whatever emotions we might, we might be feeling. And I'd invite you now to bow your head as I pray. And I just I want to invite you to release to, the, to God. Just release the honest, like honestly and vulnerably what you're feeling. And I want you, I want God to put on our hearts, each and every one of us, a person that maybe we need to forgive or persons or maybe that person is ourself. So Lord Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are here. And Spirit, you are the one who is at work moving. And I pray, God, that your Spirit now would move in our hearts, our minds, our spirit, that, um, Lord, we pray against the work of the enemy and the spirit of unforgiveness that burdens us and holds us back. Some here need to forgive. Some need to receive forgiveness. I pray that your Spirit would put on our hearts people, Lord, that... um, Man, we might despise. But we know we need to say, I forgive you. Some of us need to take a a, a minute and just look inward at ourselves and ask ourselves, do I believe that I am worth forgiving? Can I receive forgiveness? And I pray, Jesus, that you would do work in our hearts and our minds that only you can do. We can't convince ourselves to do this because it's hard. We, we, I can't convince people to do it. We need your spirit to soften our hearts, to help us see clearly, to give us the strength and the courage to forgive. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to read for you a story that Jesus told in the book of Matthew. Matthew 18. If you have a Bible, you can open it with me. Um, And I'm actually going to start on verse 21, which it's not on the screen. Uh, We'll pick up on the screen in verse 23. Um, It says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Then he goes in to tell a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And one of the ways in which Jesus taught was in parables, which parables are stories that have like a deeper meaning. And so this is a parable um, that Jesus begins to tell on forgiveness and unforgiveness. And he says this, a king, so we have kind of three different characters in this story. We have the king, a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
So the king has servants, and these, some of these servants owe him money. And so he decides he wants to settle his accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, that is the king, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. I just noticed this. This Bible translation changed the word talents to gold. Other Bible translations would say 10,000 bags of talents. I think they probably changed it to gold because it's a currency that we would understand um, as modern day readers. But I want to talk about talents. So when I'm talking about talents, I'm talking about not like things you're good at. I'm talking about currency. I'm talking about gold, okay, that it's, that it, it's talking about here. So as he began to settle, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold or talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Let me um, just pause for a second. So 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold. It's important to understand uh, what, how much that actually is. Like, what, like Jesus chose that amount of all the different amounts of money he could have, you know, put into his story, he chose that. And the question's like, why? Well, um, every scholar points that the amount, 10,000 bags, or 10,000 talents, 10,000 bags of gold, is deliberate, and it's deliberately unrealistic in the nature of its sum. Um, an ordinary working individual at this time, when Jesus is there, um, could expect to perhaps earn a single talent in one year. Okay, so translated into today's terms, um, let's say the average working person makes $40,000 a year, okay? The amount of debt that Jesus is talking about here in this story would equate to a person making $40,000 a year having a debt of $400 billion. Okay, so that, that, that's what we're talking about here in this story, that this, this man owes the king an amount of 400 billion. So if you're making $40,000 a year and you owe somebody 400 billion, are you ever gonna be able to pay that off in your lifetime? No, it's insane. It's an insane amount of, of money. Um, why would Jesus introduce such an inconceivable amount? You know, why not use something a little bit more realistic? Um, so the talent was the greatest form, the greatest currency denomination in all of the Roman Empire. Um, and 10,000, this is so interesting, was the highest number for which the Greek language had a specific word. So Jesus used the highest number in the Greek language, the absolute greatest amount. So it wasn't random. He used the greatest amount for the language that they had in that day. And so Jesus is simply speaking vividly of an infinite, immeasurable debt that this man owes. And the king confronts the servant, demands that he makes good on his debt, but it's just something that no human being could possibly pay back. And so, you know, the customary way, customary time, and it's obviously a very different time than now, to handle bankruptcy in ancient cultures was to become a slave, 
And the king calls for this sale. Um, and the guy's like, I can't pay that back. And he's like, well, you're gonna have to sell everything you have, including your family, your kids, and you're all gonna become come slaves. It goes on to say this in verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Which is sort of interesting. He's not gonna be able to do it. But this falling on the knees really represents an honest sort of, I, I have nothing. I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I, I'm in a lot of trouble here. Like, I need you to forgive me, give me time, give me time to try to fix something and make this right. And the king does something extraordinary. He doesn't give him time. It gets, says this, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So the man gets on his knees. He's like, please, like, I'll, just give me time. I don't want my family. I don't want to lose my family. Like, just give me some time and I'll figure out how to fix this. I'll figure out how to pay for my, my debt, my sin, you know. And the king doesn't say, okay, I'll give you a couple extra weeks or a couple years or a lifetime to pay this back. He does something utterly amazing. He forgives the debt. $400 billion debt, he just writes off. The king releases him of all obligation and forgives him his debt, freeing him completely from liability and obligation. Um, the word patience in Greek is macrothumio, a Greek word that literally means to boil or melt. And it sort of hints at the cost of forgiveness. Like there was a cost that had to be paid here. Who ate it? The king. You know, if a friend borrows your car, totals it, you know, through reckless driving, and, you know, doesn't have the, the money to pay for the fix, you can say, I forgive you, you know, for ruining my car. But the price of the wrong doesn't just evaporate into air. You either find the money to buy a new car or fix the car, or you go without one. And that, you know, that's the hard, that's what's hard about forgiveness, is when you let somebody off the hook, you, you are bearing a cost. Tim Keller says this, forgiveness means that when you want to make them suffer, instead you refuse to do it. And this refusal is hard. It is difficult and it is costly. But through it, if you are absorbing the debt, but through it, you are absorbing the debt yourself. Some think that by remaining angry, they are giving the wrongdoers what they deserve. But in reality, you are enabling their actions to continue to hurt you. If instead, bit by bit, you grant forgiveness in this way, eventually you'll be able to feel forgiveness. That's what I think is so interesting. I think all of us think forgiveness mostly is initiated by feelings. Like we feel like we can forgive that person. And like what Keller's saying is like, and, and I think what the story's saying, like, do you think the king felt like wiping, like 
washing $400 billion worth of debt, you know, like eating that? Probably not. And I, you know, what Keller's saying is like, there's be a lot of times in your life that like you don't feel, maybe most of the time in your life, you're not gonna feel like forgiving someone. Um, but if you continue to hold unforgiveness, and I talked about this earlier, how it burdens you, what Keller says is you may think that, you know, you're sort of sticking it to the wrongdoers, giving them what they deserve, but you're actually hurting yourself. You're enabling their actions to continue to hurt you over and over and over and over again. That's why the cost of unforgiveness is so high. You pay a cost. Some of you go, oh, I pay, I'm gonna pay such an extraordinary cost if I forgive that person. But you, while failing to recognize that you'll pay an incredible cost for failing to, to forgive that person. But you know, the unfor, for unforgiveness has an incredible cost to pay. And we, we, we hold that. And it causes all sorts of gross stuff in our life. Bitterness, rage, anger, sin, slander, gossip, self-righteousness. And it might feel good for a second when we just rip on that person to our friends. But man, like in doing so, we're just tearing into ourselves. But Keller says if, if bit by bit you can push back against what you're feeling or what even makes sense to just grant forgiveness, eventually the wounds begin to heal. And you can, you can feel that forgiveness. So the king grants extraordinary, extraordinary forgiveness to um, this servant of his. The story has a, a second part to it. Um, it says this in verse 28. When the servant went out, so now the servant is free. You know, no debt. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Not nearly the amount. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. So now there's been kind of this role reversal. The servant goes out, he's been, he's been um, forgiven for his debt, the $400 billion debt. He's been forgiven by the king. He goes out, free man, no debt. And he starts looking almost for like people who owe him. And he finds a guy who owes him not nearly the amount, not even close, and he says, pay me back. And he starts to choke the guy. Like, I'm gonna hurt you if you don't pay me back. And what does the man do? The man does exactly what the, the servant had done in front of the king. He falls to his knees. He says, I'm sorry, show me mercy. Give me time. What do you think the man who's been forgiven such an extraordinary debt, how do you think the guy should respond? Man, if the king would forgive me of such a massive debt, how can I not forgive this man? I've been in his spot and I've experienced forgiveness. How can I not offer it to him? Verse 30, here's his response. He refused. 
Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant, the king now, calls this guy that he had forgiven. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. Like this is one of these things like the, the you know, Jesus is awesome, love him. There's some stuff he says where you just go, ooh. And here, here I'm gonna lay it on you. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I didn't say it, Jesus did. But that's chilling, is it not? It should kind of send a chill up our spine. Um, the meaning of this parable is not a hard one to discern. The king is God. And the debt that we have with God because of our sin, because of our transgressions, is immeasurable. You could not live a lifetime to pay the back God for the sin that you've done against him. We are the servant. And the amazing thing about the gospel is when we get down on our knees and say, God, just give me time to fix my life, to fix the problem, to pay you back. Guess what the king does? He says, no, I can't, I, I forgive you. You don't have to pay me back. That's the cross. That's grace. That's the gospel, the good news. He sees a list of all your debts and he crosses them off one by one. You're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're free. We owe God an infinite amount. And yet he has granted us grace and forgiveness. And yet the way we treat other human beings so often infinite, it falls infinitely short of the generous mercy with which God treats us. Jesus' final sentence means that divine mercy should change our hearts so that we are able to forgive as God forgave us. If we will not offer others forgiveness, it shows that we did not truly repent and receive God's. Like his forgiveness still hasn't got deep enough in our hearts. And it doesn't mean that it's gonna feel like, again, like easy or good or right. But if you can start here, start going, like looking at what Jesus has done and, and the grace that he has shown you and, and how he is over and over and over again in your rebellion and your sin, say, I forgive you. I love you, you I, like you belong to me. And you ask the spirit, God, get that so deep into my mind and my heart that I feel it. And, and like heal those, the wounds that are there so that I can open myself to offer that same forgiveness that you've given me to others. 
It's not easy work. But it's, 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 it's active work. It's something that we have to do. And I think my, my, um, my sort of reflections is a lot of people, like Christians, aren't doing it. They're either carrying the burden or they're paying people back um, or they're ignoring the pain that's there. I, I always, I'm, I'm amazed, like, um, in the book of Matthew, when G- Jesus talks about how to approach people who hurt you and uh, who sin against you, and he says, like, there's a way to do this. And the thing, he goes, first, you go to the person and you tell him, look, you hurt me. It's like what my buddy did to me. You hurt me. Um... I'll have conversations with people. They'll come to me, you know, as a pastor, and they go, like, this person hurt me. Like, this is, there's tension, there's hurt, pain in this relationship. And I'll say, have you talked to that person? Like, have you told them? No, never would. Absolutely not. I could never do that. I never would do that. Like, I get it, you know, hard, difficult. But the process upon which Jesus has given us is to do just that. And he goes, if the person doesn't respond to that, and repent and recognize, you know, they're wrong in it. Um, you're to bring somebody else with. Um, and then if the person doesn't respond to that, you're supposed to get the church involved. I think it's interesting because a lot of times people jump to the church. Like they oh, go to the pastor and I'm like, well, you know, you got to, there's a few steps before you get to me. Um, have you done those? No way. I'd rather you just tell me how to let it go or. I go, well, let's bring the person in. No, absolutely not. And so I go, see, this is, this is the picture it's painting for me. It's a very unnatural thing in the church when it should be a very natural thing. We should be able to approach one another and admit what, you know, the pain that we've done and inflicted on one another. And we should be approachable. We should be humble enough to receive you know, the confrontation of one another. Like, we should be doing this a lot, you guys. And it shouldn't be s- scary. The problem is you've probably had bad experiences where you confronted someone and they just unleashed on you. And that's where Jesus goes on to say, you bring someone else in, you bring the church in. If the person continues to respond that way, guess what it says? Release them to the devil. That's what Jesus says. Let the devil have his way with them. And what that means is that sin has such a deep root in that person. They are blinded to their sin. And their sin is just, it's producing more and more death in their life and more and more authority the enemy has in their life. And if they're a person who is unrepentant and you've tried, it, Jesus says, let them go. And guess what? The enemy's just gonna have a heyday with them. But you did what you were supposed to do and you can move on. So, with that, um, I want to end with some questions for you just to think about, to pray about, to reflect on. And this is a series that, um, you know, it's not just today, like, this is a process. But I hope that this becomes a natural rhythm in our church. Because remember this what happened here on Sunday, Satan absolutely hates and despises. He, he hates our church. 
absolutely hates our church. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he absolutely hates you. He hates you. He hates me. He hates the church. He hates Christ. He hates forgiveness. He hates, you know, what, what, when the spirit is moving people from death to life, he hates all of it. And you know how he works? He works in the arena of unforgiveness. He works in the arena of um, slander, division. I mean, that's what he wants to do. His tactic for this church is either that we become a church that is indifferent. We just don't give a rip about anything and everything. We don't stand up for anything. We just go, eh, whatever is, you know, good and makes people happy. And that, oh, great, we're all about that. No, like there's truth and we want to stand on it. But he wants to create Christians who are indifferent. And the other thing that he wants to do is he wants to divide. And he, that's, he goes, if I, I can destroy the highlands by either making them indifferent, which ultimately makes them powerless in the kingdom of God, or I divide them. I pin, I pin one against the other. And church splits are happening all over because of that. And that is his tactic against us. We know it. So let's fight against it. We will not be indifferent. We will create a culture of goodness where we forgive as hard as it is. Trusting that God will help us do so. And he'll heal the holes and in, in, in the, 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 the really difficult things of like letting somebody off the hook. But remember, not letting them off, the cost is high for that too. So, who haven't you been able to forgive? What haven't you been able to forgive yourself for? And whose forgiveness aren't you receiving? Let me, let me just ask those questions again. Who haven't you been able to forgive? What haven't you been able to forgive yourself for? And whose forgiveness aren't you receiving? You know that revival that started at Asbury College a few months ago? It started when some kids just decided to repent of their sin, to confess sin, to receive forgiveness. And the spirit like lit a flame. What if forgiveness could bring revival into your life? What if it forgiveness, forgiving, finally forgiving someone could light a flame in your heart and your life? Are you willing to trust God to do the hard work for that, to experience that. Let's stand together. Lord, this is a work that um, we cannot do on our own. It's, it's one of the things that's much easier said than done. Um, it's not natural. <laughs> um, I, would, I know there's people here that have been just really, really hurt. Um, but God, um, you want us to be free of the burdens of sin. You died for that. And um, you, uh, you have forgiven us. You've forgiven us for a debt that we could never pay you back for. Um, would that work itself into our hearts so deep that it would open us up to be able to forgive one another? And I pray that you would, you would shepherd the hearts of people here who have been really, really hurt, abused, um, neglected, 
quite frankly, God, is just we look around and we see people, we go, they don't deserve forgiveness. They, you know, that's just what is in our minds and our hearts. They just don't. But I, you know, I don't either. Um, so I think, you know, there's a miracle often that has to happen for us to be able to do it, but we can, and I ask for that miracle in our church, our our lives. And I just pray that this would be a a church, that our church would be a place that is that is actively working toward reconciliation with each other. We pray against the schemes of the enemy. We pray against apathy. We pray against unforgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.